everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Uh, We are two weeks into the new year, and while the markets are holding their own, they haven't exhibited a clear direction just yet. So joining us for today's CIO Strategy Snapshot to explain why that may be the case and to help answer the question of what's next for the markets. Glad to welcome back Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Jason Trejo. Jason, welcome back. Good morning to you. And thank you, as always, for spending some time with our listeners and their clients. Uh, Good morning, Dan. Good to be here. Jason, there are a lot of questions that investors are asking and debating to start the year. So can you level set it for us in terms of what investors are thinking and asking right now? Well, I think if you think about the start of this year, it comes after a two-month stretch in November, December of 2023, in which equities rallied significantly. Uh, Bond yields fell. In fact, in about five weeks, bond yields fell. The 10-year fell from 5% to around 3.8%. So really dramatic moves, very strong performance to kind of finish the year. Uh, soft landing became kind of the, clearly the consensus view uh, for, for this year. So I think where, what I'm sort of, my sense of the markets is that the overarching question that people are asking is kind of, you know, what's next? Uh, and there's a range of opinions on, on how this can play out. A soft landing is the consensus view. I think if you then, if you serve an investor, the next most popular kind of base case for people would be no landing, meaning the economy doesn't slow down at all. Inflation could even accelerate. You know, the Fed doesn't cut that much. Uh, people think that's even more likely than, you know, kind of a hard line. That's kind of where the consensus distribution is. So there, there is a range of, of outcomes. Uh, there's a, a range of views on interest rates, you know, from the Fed cutting three times, six times, some are even more or less than that. Uh, and for something like the 10-year Treasury, which I think is a good proxy for how people think the economy will play out this year, but also multiple years, the consensus view there is that the 10-year will end around the year around 3.8%, a little bit you know below where it was um, you know a couple of days ago, like at 3.9%. Uh, uh, but the range is anywhere from 4.5% to 3%. So some people think rates go higher, some think they actually go lower. So I think all that kind of comes down to like, Okay, we, we think of soft landing, but what is the nature of this soft landing? I think that's kind of the essential kind of question that, that investors, uh, investors are asking right now. So, Jason, in your most recent blog title is Things That Make You Go, Hmm, you do take a step back from the what's next question to focus on some bigger picture questions. Before getting to some of those questions, Jason, let's start with why you think that's important to do at the moment. Well, I think we need to all be a little bit humble after last year and the past couple of years where the consensus view at this time was the U.S. economy would certainly slow by the, the summer. And, and most people thought uh, forecasters were expecting a recession for the U.S. economy you know, to begin by the summer to the, the third quarter. And in fact, we saw a growth of 5% in, in the third quarter go exactly opposite. Uh, the, you know, when you get something kind of like that, kind of wrong, kind of the views on where rates would go are kind of wrong as a consensus, you, know, you have to wonder, like, well, what did I miss? What, what did I get wrong in my forecast? And sometimes it kind of taking a step back to think about you know, the economy overall. How is it really functioning? Why is it performing in a way that I was not expecting? You know, why might we end up getting a soft landing when you know, the Fed was hiking rates aggressively and, and you'd think that would cause a recession? So kind of you know, asking some questions that are kind of bigger picture, uh, maybe a little bit conceptual. Um, I think it's important to, to make sure that are we really using the right frameworks as we think about the economy, about the markets, the right models, uh, and all that ultimately does flow into like, you know, what's next. But I think you're going to have to get to some of these questions 
before you can just sort of jump to, well, given all that, here's what's going to happen next. So, Jason, I think it's important that we cover all of the questions on today's podcast. For our listeners, we can do so in rapid-fire fashion, so one minute each. Beginning with the first question, if the pandemic didn't happen, would the economy be in year 15 of an expansion that began back in July of 2009? Like it's a what-if question. We'll never know. So you have to think about the counterfactual. But really, when I ask the question, I'm asking, how prone is the economy to recession? If we go back to January 2020, the conditions that you'd normally see for a recession or right prior to recession, they weren't really in place. Inflation, you know, in December of 2019 was, you know, right around you know, the target of 2%. Uh, average hourly earnings, 3%. Uh, the Fed had raised rates in 2018 up to and a percent by the end of 2018, cut them three times in 2019. It looked like the economy that was, you know, kind of having coming out of a mid-cycle correction. There wasn't an obvious catalyst for recession, uh, which then sort of makes you think, well, if that was the case, absent a shock, could the economy have expanded for another, you know, four years? And I think it's relevant because as we continue to normalize post-pandemic, a lot of the economic conditions, whether it's inflation, labor, unemployment, household finances, by the end of this year, could look a lot like they were in January 2020. So if the economy could have experienced four more years of expansion, then maybe they could experience four more you know, years of expansion from, from here on out. Um, so it's a what if, but I think it just forces you to say what causes uh, and how prone is the U.S. economy to, expand, or to recessions? And I'd say not very prone. Okay, so the second question, are the rapid disinflation and likely soft landing the result of a flexible U.S. economy that will avoid a recession in the absence of an adverse shock? Well, but, you know, short answer I'd say is yes. Uh, you know, I think what sometimes people miss of when they assess the U.S. economy today is it's very different than it was 40, 50 years ago. The U.S. is now a knowledge-based services economy. Um, your manufacturing share of private sector output is half of what it was back in the 1970s. Uh, we're not as rate, interest rate sensitive, uh, and therefore the U.S. economy in general is not as, as recession-prone. Uh, but another factor that's kind of maybe not often cited is that you know the price system of kind of allocating resources, supply and demand, uh, you know, is quite good in the U.S. It, you know, it's a flexible price-based system that allows you know quick adjustments um, uh, you know, to dislocations of the market. I call it sort of the uberification of the overall economy. You know, prices adjust in real time when supply is inadequate, induces more supply when prices rise, uh, and then it curbs demand when demand is in excess. Now, the fact that we didn't or are on track to have a soft landing for inflation to come down with almost no economic pain or labor market pain suggests that you know there is something to this that sort of reinforces the point that perhaps the economy is not prone to recession in the absence of some sort of shock. Financial, climate, health, geopolitical, um, otherwise the U.S. economy generally is just going to keep growing. Okay, now the third question, if the economy does achieve a soft landing, what stage will it be in the business cycle? Well, we typically think of the business cycles as the recession and then an expansion stage, which is either early, mid, or late cycle, kind of you know, going into potentially the next recession. My take would be that if we got a soft landing, we're kind of in a mid-cycle uh, situation. Some metrics, though, look late cycle. Unemployment, uh, 3.7%, typically will look late cycle based on the past you know, 50 years. Um, other parts of the economy, though, would be early cycle. You know, manufacturing has been in a mild recession. Housing has been in a mild recession. If they exited this year, you'd think they were kind of early cycle. So there's a mix of things, kind of you knit it all out. It feels like it's a little bit you know, mid-cycle. Uh, and it's important at least to think about the cycle stage because there is kind of a playbook of how investors would 
think of what performs well, what should they allocate to you and invest in at different points in the cycle. If you're late cycle, you tend not to want to own you know, really cyclical stocks. You want to own more defensive and quality. When you're coming out of recession, that's when you want to own deep value and cyclicals. Um, so you have to kind of respect how the market and, and investors trade. It's going to influence market performance. But at the same time, it can be a bit misguided in that if we are now in a world where the U.S. economy just expansions could go on indefinitely, barring a shock, what does it mean to me mid-cycle in that case? Because if there's no ending in play. So it's important to acknowledge it, to think about it. It does influence markets of how we think about where you're on the cycle. But cycles are different today. So I think it's also a case where you know, be cautious on assuming things will play out in a certain way in the markets just because you might be mid versus late cycle. Okay. Now, the fourth question, Jason, is, is a soft landing symptomatic of the U.S. economy now being in a roaring 20s macro regime? Well, we've talked about uh, sort of the possibility of the U.S. being in a roaring 20s regime on this podcast a few times before. If we just look at how 2023 played out, it almost checks all the boxes of the way we've defined a roaring 20s economy. You had sustained growth above 2%, fall in inflation, strong job growth, rapid productivity improvement, which we saw you know, in the spring and summer of last year, revolutionary technologies that changed the world, that's AI. So it checked all the boxes. What we can't say in real time is, do we get that performance in 2023 because this is a roaring 20s decade and therefore you should get this? Or is it just a hot economy that will eventually cool? Um, we definitely think it's a plausible scenario. You know, the, the conditions are continue to be in place for this to, to play out. Uh, and the probability of this scenario has kind of risen over the past two years. And if you think about other scenarios, it's not as if the one clearly dominates and that's the, you know, the one where you put on all your probability. Um, whether you disagree or not disagree, I think it matters, though, for the markets, because if you're forecasting where interest rates are going to go, you're implicitly making some sort of assumption of, like, what kind of regime are we going to be in the next one, two, three, five, ten years? Uh, and there's a lot of wide dispersion there. So I think, you know, whatever regime we're in, it's going to matter for the markets because investors ultimately have to kind of price, you know, some of the financial assets based off of that. And that's going to induce, I think, you know, some debate about this as we move through throughout the year. Okay. And then the fifth question is, were the large and fast oscillations in market prices last year the consequence of unique and temporary macro conditions, or are they a permanent structural feature of financial markets? So just to remind everyone like how last year played out, I think the, the best way to think of it is the, is the 10-year Treasury yield. Uh, you know, It began 2023 at 3.87%. During the course of the year, it reached a high of 5% and a low of 3.3%, so a, a very wide range. And there was, even throughout the year, kind of oscillations, you know, so it wasn't just going up and down, um, but it was oscillations. On December 31st, it was back to 3.87%. So the 10-year, if you looked at start to finish, oh, it seemed uneventful, but of course, there's dramatic moves in relatively short time periods. So when I talk about these kind of fast, large market oscillations, that's exactly what I mean. And you can see this was just sort of a consequence of the conditions last year where investors were discussing, debating the likelihood of a soft landing, how much the Fed's going to have to hike, how much can it cut. But I'd say that behavior, whether it was in rates, similar story applied to equities and other asset classes, this is now a feature, not a bug of financial markets. And it's a development that's kind of been in with us for a while, but really kind of accelerated, uh, you know, kind of post-financial crisis. And there's four main reasons why I would say this is the case. The first, probably most important, is that you know the market is heavily dependent on the Fed. It, it focuses a lot on what is Fed policy. It's become conditioned to a Fed put if there's economic weakness, but also a lot of focus today versus 
even 10 years ago on financial conditions and is the Fed trying to ease or tighten financial conditions. So a lot of dependency on the Fed. Uh, when you have an environment where there's uncertainty about the macro environment, and we just discussed about where would we be in the cycle, what kind of regime it could be, what kind of soft landing. When you have a lot of uncertainty in the macro environment, it leads to frequent sort of narrative shifts as investors trying to assess uh, you know, what could actually happen and a few data points can get you going from thinking, oh, it's going to be a recession, hard landing, to, oh, actually, we can get a soft landing. So you have a market dependent on the Fed, macro uncertainty, which also fuels the Fed dependency because the Fed is data dependent. You have investors that who tend to herd into similar positions, uh, you know, see what others or people are doing. And there's also kind of related to that, the fourth factor, instruments, index-linked options, futures, and st systematic strategies that kind of based on rules-based momentum that tend to amplify these moves. So you add these four factors together, and what you can get is markets that can oscillate and fluctuate between relative price stability and then relative price momentum picking up. I think all these conditions will persist, certainly going forward. Um, so we should expect what happened last year. That, that kind of market dynamics likely to continue this year and, and maybe for many years to come. So, Jason, as we sum it all up, what's the bottom line here for investors that they should take away from these questions, ultimately answering what's next for the economy and the markets? Well, from a very sort of tangible, you know, what is our official view? Uh, you know, we published a 2024 year ahead kind of update uh, a couple of weeks ago where we updated our scenarios, our price targets. Our base case for this year is that you know the U.S. economy will have a soft landing. Uh, the Fed will cut rates you know four times. We'll see rates head lower, and we'll see I call them decent returns across asset classes. You know, mid upper single digits for equities and for fixed income, but not a smooth path at all. You know, going back to last year, some of these oscillations that will continue to be kind of the story for uh, you know for for this year. I expect there'll be a lot of debates about what is the nature of the soft landing, where we are in the cycle what type of macro regime. Um, this is going to shift market narratives as the data comes in. It's going to lead to perhaps large rate moves. So I gave you know, the example of how much rates were moved last year. The current forecast for the 10-year Treasury yield, the consensus forecast in Bloomberg is that it would end around 3.8%. So a little bit lower than we are last year, but not much different than from where it started the year. But the range of outcomes or expectations is like 4.5% on the upside, 3% on the downside. And we could cover that full range during the course of this year. So I think if you ask me ultimately, like, you know, so what's next? You know, my answer might be kind of more of the same to some extent. It's a fascinating conversation. It does encourage our listeners, our clients to expand their thinking in terms of what perhaps is ahead for the economy and the markets as you outline those considerations for us. So thank you, as always, Jason, for dropping by, sharing your thoughts, and do look forward to picking back up with our conversation next week. You're welcome, and have a great week. Likewise, thank you, Jason. Again, today we have been speaking with Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. And again, I will point our listeners, our clients to Jason's most recent blog, which is now available up on UBS.com slash CIO for clients of UBS. Please reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of Jason's blog directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.